Hello, listeners. Rick Voiles here. Diane and I really appreciate you listening to our podcast. We enjoy creating these episodes in the hopes that it will help you deal with that impossible co-parent, and in so doing, give a little more peace to you and your children. Well, August is here, and Diane and I are going to take a little bit of a break as we set up for Season 4, where we'll be talking about alienation. In the meantime, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to rebroadcast some of our more popular episodes. We'll be back soon with Season 4. This assumption that good co-parenting equals flexibility or open access really frustrates me. And anybody who doesn't give that open access is accused of being inflexible and inflexible. Or uncooperative. Or uncooperative. And that's the bad co-parent if you have any kind of inflexibility. And I think that dichotomy is completely false. Yeah. Inflexibility is different than setting a healthy boundary. And I think you used this word before, structured consistency. I like that. Structured consistency is not inflexibility. Exactly. Right. (laughs) A good boundary is actually structured consistency. Somebody who wants open access identifies that as being inflexible or non-cooperative. Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we give practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. I'm Diane Dirks. And I'm Rick Foyles. How are you today, Diane? I'm great. Hello. How are you? (laughs) I am very good, too. Still looking forward to the holidays. Yes. Yeah, I've got a couple more weeks, and I'm getting close to getting my shopping finished. And I'm doing it all online. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree. So my husband is teasing me every day. There's like four deliveries to that. Right. House. Yes. What are you ordering now? Like it's Christmas. It, feel, it feels like Christmas every day when I go to exactly. the porch. Exactly. And then I open the box and go, oh, I forgot I ordered that. Yeah. So it is kind of fun to yes. see what surprises come next. So today, before we get started on this episode, I want to acknowledge that we got a very nice affirmation or compliment from one of our Facebook listeners. And she was commenting about uh, the 20th episode about narcissism, which has been a very popular episode, which isn't surprising. She says, this was a great episode. You really hit it right on the head with your response to vitriolic rambling emails. I copied the response you gave and will use it in the future. The other phrases you've shared in previous podcasts have been helpful as well and have really cut down on the back and forth. And I love that. That just makes us feel like there's some reason we're doing this. Yes. Uh Reaching people and they're using our practical advice and it might be bringing them some peace. Ah, it's helping their children. So thank you for sharing that on Facebook. Also, it occurred to us that you might not be calling or emailing us because you're afraid we're using your name and location. (laughs) Uh, uh We do request that if you call our voicemail number, I ask that you use your name and location because I just want to know who you are, what name to address you with. And it's fun for us or interesting to us to figure out where our listeners are listening from. However, if you are uncomfortable with that, please just let us know. Yes. Please don't tell the audience where I live or please don't use my name. There are 
millions of names to choose from. So True. we'll find a different name for you. So I just wanted to put that out there because we understand that some of these issues might be so specific in your descriptions of them that you might have a fear that your co-parent or someone in their family will recognize the situation and then and the name and the place and put it all together and it might come back to bite you. So anyway, I thought we should put that out there. This week, we're going to try to define the non-impossible parent from an email that we received from Janelle. She doesn't name her location. She's concerned about being a good, quote unquote, Mm co-parent because she's being accused of being a bad, quote unquote, (laughs) co-parent to the point where even her attorney is encouraging her to be a good. Uh, Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And I've encountered this a lot, and I've encountered this a lot with attorneys and other mental health professionals understanding what is the definition of a good co-parent. Now, keep in mind, we're not talking about good parenting. Right. It's a whole other subject. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a good or appropriate or non-impossible co-parent, which is what we're trying to get everyone that listens to us to achieve. Yeah, right. Here's the email. I was listening to your show when you mentioned the weekly email protocol. I really want to do that, but my ex says that's just my way of refusing to cooperate with him. He wants to talk to me every day, which usually ends up with him talking me into something I don't want to do just to make peace with him. Hmm. All it does for me is cause frustration. Even my attorney says I should try harder to work with him. I want to be a good co-parent, but I find it exhausting. How can I set boundaries but not be seen as a bad co-parent for doing so? Good. Mm-hmm. Bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah. How so, do I get these people off my back, please? <laughs> yes. So let's. I want to define the difference between a trusting relationship and one where trust has been broken. And I would venture to say probably, I don't know what the percentage would be. Let's take. I just, you and I just took a training the other day where they actually said only 25% of co-parents, we've been using this 30% figure, only 25% of co-parents really can be cooperative. The others have to settle into some sort of parallel parenting or structured parenting communication mode, which is fine. Again, the research doesn't say you have to be in the 25% for your kids to be healthy. It just simply says you have to stay out of conflict, right? Right. So um, when you're married, for instance, we assume a trusting relationship, and even that's iffy sometimes, but that means you have open access to one another, or at least you should to maintain trust. Yeah. My husband and your wife can call me anytime, day or night, wake me up in the middle of the night, say I have a problem, we need to talk. We have open access to each other all the time because we trust one another. Right. When that trust is broken, as it is in divorce or separation, especially when there's been a difficult breakup, that trust goes out the window completely. So that also means open access is no longer available because of the trust issue. And, and because nobody else in my life except my wife has that kind of open access. So I don't let my colleagues at work have that kind of open access. I don't answer my phone after a certain time. So I have these kind of boundaries or expectations that define actually respect. So 
I don't have open access with anybody else except my spouse. I mean, maybe a parent, but really even then I don't pick up the phone immediately if it's, if I'm doing something else that I can't get away from. And I think you can have that with your children, depending on that relationship. You know, my daughter calls me. I probably don't access her as much as she needs to access me because I feel more respectful of her life because she's busy and has kids and, and works and now she's going to school and all this stuff. So I set a boundary there with her just for her sake, but she can access me anytime. That's true. When I, when I see my kids on the phone, right. So actually the norm is that many, many other people in our lives, we don't give open access to. It's not even just about, do I trust them? But it's about respectful boundaries for me and for them. I don't call people in the middle of the night unless it's my family members. (laughs) So let's get back to Janelle's question. It sounds like, and we've kind of heard this story before, that her co-parent is misinterpreting what their relationship should look like. And when she tried to set up an email protocol, which is a once a week structured way of giving information to your co-parent about your children or receiving information, that wasn't good enough for him, presumably because that doesn't allow him the flexibility to control her. So (laughs) we know, I mean, why else would that not be good enough? Because he can't get his way if he can't engage in a toxic communication via text or email with her. Well, and she even insinuates that in that I usually get worn down and I end up just letting him do something because I'm tired of fighting. And then, so yeah. And this kind of speaks to the double bind that I think we've mentioned before. I want to be a good co-parent. So I'm going to kind of give in thinking if I give in to him on this one, then next week when I ask for something, he'll give in to me and then we'll be have this symbiotic sort of flexible relationship. And what you find out is you give, 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 they take, 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 take. Yes. And then when you get frustrated with that and put up a solid boundary and say, I'm tired of that, I'm not doing that anymore. Then they cry foul. You're not being a good co-parent. I'm going to tell the court that you won't co-parent with me. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they win that argument in court right? because you got so frustrated with all of the communication, you set up a boundary of steel, block them from everything, and then you get your hand slapped. So I think it's really important to understand that that's a double bind. I'm either going to control you and make you do what I want you to do, or I'm going to tattle on you in the court. And you feel like there's no way out of that. There is no way out of that. Well, there is, if you don't block them completely and and you put up a healthy boundary, which would be what we suggest is this weekly email protocol, which by the way, I will put in the show notes, the link to it once again. In case, because I think we've linked to it before in other episodes. So um, we'll do that again. So you have the benefit of that. So this is what really frustrates me about this conversation, this dynamic that she's caught in. And that is this assumption that good co-parenting equals flexibility or open access. And anybody who doesn't give that open access is accused of being inflexible and inflexible or uncooperative. uncooperative. And that's the bad co-parent if you have any kind of inflexibility. And I think that dichotomy is completely false. Yeah. Inflexibility is different than setting a healthy boundary 
And I think you used this word before, structured consistency. I like that. Structured consistency is not inflexibility. Exactly. Right. (laughs) A good boundary is actually structured consistency. Somebody who wants open access identifies that as being inflexible or non-cooperative. And that's that they're wrong. Think about that. We do that as parents with our children. They're going to cry foul and go, that's not fair that you won't let me eat candy before dinner. And you Uh say, well, we have dinner every night at six o'clock and I never let you eat candy before dinner, but you always get something sweet after dinner. So that would be structure consistency. Yes. But the child who's screaming for the candy sees it as you being inflexible. I want it now. I want it now. (laughs) So in some ways, these parents feel very juvenile. I don't want any consistency. I don't want structure. I need open-ended access in order to be able to control the outcome or get what I need and what I want. And that just feels childish in a way. That's not an adult way of looking at a difficult relationship. No. So I want what I want and I want it now is juvenile behavior, whether you're uh, an adult with your own children or not. (laughs) I see it in marriages as well. So all kind of relationships can have this dynamic. True, true. And it doesn't work because it does start to feel very parent-child-like. And I I presume in some of these cases, that's the way the marriage looked, which is why the marriage didn't work. So the marriage breaks up and now the uh, screaming child is complaining and the complacent, tired, exhausted parent is giving in. Giving in. Right. And, and it's just what like I they see. did in the relationship. Yeah. And maybe Janelle got out of this relationship because she got tired of that dynamic. And now all we're doing is repeating it. Once she spent thousands of dollars in the courtroom getting her freedom, <laughs> she now has to deal with the same marital dynamic. And we're saying you have to change the dynamic or you might as well stay married. It's a lot cheaper and you can just go down the hall and yell at them. Yes. So she has a double bind here, which we described, but it's made even worse in that her attorney is supporting that. So even if she went to court to try and set a healthy boundary, she doesn't have a support from her attorney. Right. And I've heard attorneys say this, and I'm not saying it's not true, but it's it's, I think, destructive that they'll say, well, the judge really wants to see flexibility. You'll do better in court if it looks like you're trying to be flexible. And there may be some truth to that, but 75% of co-parents after divorce or separation have difficulty in their communication patterns and in their relationship. And I would say probably 25% of those or more have abusive relationships. Yes. So it's kind of like saying, well, the judge really wants you to keep going back and getting beaten up. Right. Because it makes you look like a better co-parent. Right. That's well, that's because we keep going back to inflexible is bad and flexible is good. I think we need to stop using those terms. Right. The terms are structured consistency is the answer to co-parent bullying. Yes. You have a co-parent bully and flexibility and open access is good if you're in that 25%, which is rare. Right. You know. yeah. Either way, kids do well when their parents are either flexible and cooperative or they have structured consistency and they're parallel. 
that's where kids thrive. Where they don't thrive is in this situation Janelle describes is they stay in conflict because she keeps allowing him open access. And when she sets a boundary, he yells at her and triggers her and they get back into their old mirror. Those kids are not doing well in this situation. And the reason both of those work, open access and flexibility works for the 25% and structured consistency with the other 75% is it eliminates conflict or minimizes conflict between the two. And that's not to say that someone who is practicing structured consistency coming right out of the courtroom and the divorce can't one day move closer to open access, nor does it mean that because we're having open access and flexibility now, that something might happen in the future where suddenly we're not doing well. A new person enters the relationship and it complicates everything. Well, now maybe you need to go back into structured consistency to protect the children. Oftentimes when we're doing parenting coordination, we see parents right after the court case, right? They get ordered to do that. And it's unrealistic for a couple who has gone through a long court custody battle and has really wounded each other in that. Right. That right out of the gate, we're going to say, okay, now you guys need to learn how to be flexible and have a goodwill and open access. <laughs> no. And I've even had one or the other parents therapists say to me, you know, they just need to learn how to get along. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, they need to learn how to not communicate so much. They need to put a boundary up. They need to figure out how to move on with their lives. Yes. The divorce is destructive enough. So let's not try to heal anything between the couple, because if they could have done that, they wouldn't have gone on to a divorce. That's marital therapy work. Yes. And so I want to say this to all the judges and attorneys and mental health people out there. You don't take a high conflict co-parent couple and do marital therapy with them. They will run so fast from that. A lot of people are afraid to get into parenting coordination for that very reason. Oh my yeah. Gosh, they think it's co-parent counseling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to make me sing Kumbaya no. <laughs> and apologize or forgive. And that just seems so beyond what they're prepared to do. I think it's real important for professionals to stop giving the advice to co-parents that this is how you need to look and act and behave so that you look like the 25% who do it right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Instead, you can achieve and probably I would say 75% of people after divorce, maybe even 80 do just fine with either cooperative or the structured consistency. Yes. Um, parallel. The, the 20% is who we see in parenting coordination who we're trying to move into that 80% bracket. Right. Right. So I want to say to Janelle that you're not wrong in your thinking that a good boundary is best in this relationship because you're exhausted and you didn't get a divorce to be more exhausted. No. <laughs> divorce is supposed to end. I mean, it's, it never fixes anything. Divorce just creates a new set of issues for you as a single mm -hmm. parent and otherwise, but it should end the pain and the suffering of this particular relationship. And should get you a chance to get another life moving on. So you're really good at this. What would you recommend she say to the other parent? And what would you recommend she say to her attorney? And is it the same thing? 
when he says, you're a terrible co-parent, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Why won't you be flexible? My sister's ex-husband is flexible with her. You know, it's going to, that whole vitriolic stuff we talked about in our last episode. Yeah, that's going to happen. She has to put up a shield of armor to not absorb all those comments. That's just what he does. That's what he's going to say. The answer to that is thank you for your opinion. I understand what you're saying. However, we don't do flexibility well. And I prefer to have structured consistency because that's going to be better for our daughter. Yes. And here's the instructions to the email protocol that I would like to use. If you choose not to use it, that's up to you. But this is what brings me peace. So what does she say to the attorney then? I listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we had all these co-parents that are sending this episode to their professionals. Well, I think hopefully we've explained it in better detail. Although you as an attorney may be telling your client, well, the judge doesn't like to see that you're not cooperative. I know a lot of judges and have talked to them personally. I can't think of any judge that I know who would say when you present in the courtroom that he sent me 400 emails in five weeks telling me what I need to do and need to do better. And I sent five emails in five weeks that said, thank you for your opinion. I understand. Here are the three things about our daughter we need to talk about and kept it to that. That doesn't look like she's being uncooperative. It looks like she's not engaging in the toxicity. Right. And I can't imagine a judge saying, well, she needs to, because of my experience with judges in the courtroom is when they see both parents doing the 400 emails and calling each other names. They throw their hands up in the air and say, you both are crazy. Yep. But if it looks as if one parent is trying to give appropriate information and flexibility is nice in the parenting plan, if you can get it, but 25% can do that and 75% can't, you know, right. We're back to the numbers. So we kind of have to just assume that most people didn't fight for years to get to a parenting plan that costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to turn around and do something different. And I can appreciate that judges want co-parents to be more flexible and that may be a high desire on their list, but I'm betting the highest desire is that this judge never see these two people again. Exactly. And that the kids don't have to be in the middle of the conflict. Yeah. And With Janelle, she may not put her child in the middle of the conflict, but she's certainly going to absorb all the stress. And there's no way her daughter is not going to experience a stressful mom. So structured consistency, not being inflexibility, could actually keep the parents out of court and protect the children. Yeah. Because hopefully if one parent, and we say this all the time, if one parent is doing the right things and what we mean by right is being kind and respectful and civil in your communication, acknowledging the other parent and recognizing the importance of your child's relationship with that parent, no matter how you feel about them, and that you are consistent and structured in giving and receiving information because you are co-parents, that's not impossible. That's not impossible. So Janelle, I think your instinct in asking this question is right. How do I set boundaries and not be accused of being a bad co-parent? And I think you're right. You need some kind of protection and structured 
consistency does not make you a bad co-parent. Yeah. Very good. All right. Thanks for unpacking that with me, Rick. And yes, that, that's you. that's fun. Yep. And I, for some reason, I'm really passionate about this issue of how many times flexibility and inflexibility become the code words. I know. Exactly. All right. right. Well, we will talk next week. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. We hope this episode was helpful to you. If you'd like to share your dilemma or tell us how something we said has benefited your situation, please call 1-234-DILEMMA. That's 234-362-3445. Or email 1234-DILEMMA at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Co-Parent Dilemmas wherever you get your podcasts and give us a favorable rating. That will make us more accessible to co-parents who are searching for help. Thank you for being part of our non-impossible family.